going to continue uh, in our worship with um, the reading of Scripture. So today's Scripture comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. We're going to read this in the ESV. We encourage you to find that Scripture and to read along with us. Again, it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. May the Lord bless the reading of God's Word for us today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series where we are talking about how we navigate this moment that we are in, especially in our country, with a lot of the injustices that we see, how we do that in the Spirit. And so today we are going to be talking about the second of the stages of grief. I found that you know the reason why we're talking about this in stages is because... I think this moment that we're going through, it's more than just a moment. Well, it needs to be more than just a moment if we want for there to actually be change and transformation in our country. Um, there are different stages that we go through. And so um, I, I, we, we talked last week about denial and, and how easy it is for us to um, just try to move past uh, the things that are difficult. Um, and today we're going to be talking about anger, and I think that maybe uh, that's where a lot of us have been. Um, I, I think that's what you see in this country with um, the riots that are going on, the protests. Um, I think protest is a better word, but I mean there has been violence and there has been this this kind of rage that has 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 uh, bottled up in this country, or you know bubbled up in this country because maybe it has been bottled up for so long. And, um, you know, I, I think for many of us, we understand that. And maybe for you, you've been feeling that. And, um, you know, anger, I, I did want to say uh, just from the outset, anger is, it's part of the journey, right? I, I don't want to deny that anger um, isn't there. Or in, in many ways, it should be there. Um, I'm somebody, just, you know, kind of full disclosure, I'm somebody who has struggled with anger. Um, 
you can ask my wife. <laughs> uh, there, there are times where, um, you know, I, I just I, I'm thinking about times when I've got, gotten really angry. And usually, you know, if you do the same kind of analysis in your own life, there's a reason for it, right? That anger doesn't just come out of nowhere. But usually it's this feeling like, this isn't fair, right? This isn't fair. You can't treat me this way, right? People shouldn't be treated this way, you know? And, and it, it comes from this sense of, you know, whether or not it's right or wrong, um, but it, it comes from a sense of, of injustice, right? Like, like, like this is not the way things should be. And I, I think, you know, for many of us, uh, we may experience that. Um, but there, there's going to be a word here. And, and today's message is a little bit of a uh, complicated mes- message because I think um, when we think about anger, um, there's going to be some things that are important for us to note about anger that can be good. But there are some things that are definitely not. And, and so you're going to kind of see that, that I don't want to just sort of say anger bad, anger good, <laughs> you know, but I want us to nuance it a little bit because in scripture, um, it is nuanced. And there's going to be some passages where we see like, okay, hey, Jesus got angry, right? We're going to talk about the clearing of the temple, right? Jesus got angry, right? Um, but then there's going to be other cases and today's message seems to be like, well, there's some things in anger that probably aren't so good. But before we get there, I just want to acknowledge um, here, this is kind of the mission statement of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to, the, to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I, I want to say... Uh, that I think the saltiness that he's talking about is Christ-likeness. This is what we have to contribute to this world. And then he goes on, you are the light of the world. Now, this is where um, I, I get to kind of prove the point that he's talking about Christ-likeness because if you'll remember, in John chapter 1 from the very beginning, we know that the light of the world is Jesus, Right? How are we the light of the world? We are the light of the world when we are like Christ, when we have Christ within us. So it is the Christ-likeness that makes us salty, right? And so if you lose that Christ-likeness, then we are effectively good for nothing. This is what the scripture says. Sorry, this is what Jesus says. I'm not the one saying it, right? We, we don't have that 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 factor, that X factor, that, that it factor, that thing that makes us different, that makes us effective in this world. It is the Christ-likeness, right? It is the spirit of Christ within us that makes us like Christ. Amen? Yeah? And so that's why this, this whole sermon series is about life in the spirit, right? You're not necessarily going to be naturally like Christ, you know? But the Christ within us, the, the spirit of Christ within us needs to transform some of those things into things that can really shine light in the darkness, right? So you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
man, this preaches just on its own. But I think sometimes when we look at the stuff happening in this world, we as a church say, well, it's not really our problem, right? Like, like let's just worship quietly in our churches, you know? Let's just pray in our closet, and let's just work on ourselves and, and just, you know, we'll leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. But that's not what it's saying here. That's not the mission statement of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. All the things that follow, it's because we are supposed to shine, Right? And so when we think about this present moment, the church definitely has a role to play, right? We, we can't just say like, okay, just, just you know, like, like we'll just work on ourselves and we'll do it really quietly. We got to get out there, right? I think it's very clear here. You got to be a light. A light is meant to shine. And so with that in mind, uh, let's look at what we read today. Uh, it says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. This really, really confuses a lot of Christians because, you know, we've been learning all this stuff, right? Like we've got the New Testament, the New Covenant, right? The law with the hundreds of commands, right? It doesn't seem at all possible for us to do all those things, right? And and in many ways, we, we say, well, we don't have to. But what Jesus is saying here is that his point is not to get rid of the law, it's to fulfill it. That in many ways, you could actually... Um, try to follow the law, the law of God, without getting the Christ-likeness. See, this is the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. So it's going to go on to, to make this point. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what it's talking about is that you could be a scribe or a Pharisee, somebody who follows the letter of the law and be like, hey, look, I did this thing that it says here, right? It says, don't kill. I didn't kill. But Jesus is saying that that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is not to just say you obeyed it. The point of the law is that you actually become right. Righteous is the word. That you become a just person. That you become Christ-like. That is the whole goal. That is what we are trying to get to. And so we got to keep that in mind when we start talking about these kinds of things. You know, um, we're going to talk about anger today, right? Um, And so we have to understand that sometimes we ask the wrong question when it comes to the law. A lot of people just want to know, you know, is this right or is this wrong? And what Jesus is interested in is not necessarily is this right or is this wrong just as a question. That, that's a, a, a legal question, right? Did you break the law or not? Did you do right or not, right? A- am I good or not, right? But Jesus is concerned about are you righteous? That's different. Are you Christ-like? Is there something within you that is reflects that you are a different kind of human because of what the Spirit of God has done within you, right? And that cannot necessarily just be measured by, hey, did you do this or not do this, 
Right? It's going to talk about this. So verse 21, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Again, there's that word judgment, right? This sense of, did you do right or wrong, right? Hey, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't murder people? Okay. I won't murder somebody, right? I'll put the knife down, put the gun down. No murder, right? Okay, good. But Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, this is really a term of contempt. Raka, which is, it kind of sounds like you're spitting on someone. Whoever says that with this, this contempt will be liable to the hell of fire. And what Jesus is getting at is that you could not kill someone, but completely hate them in your heart, right? The law can't necessarily dictate that. You know, it, it dictates this external character, uh, the, the external behavior. But what Jesus is really concerned about is, are you through and through somebody who reflects the kingdom of God, right? Are you righteous? Are you just? And so he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what, what, what Jesus is saying, and he's intentional by using the word brother, sibling, your brother or sister, if there's something that is in between you two that is not right, something that is creating, I'm going to use this word intentionally, inequality, right? There is an inequality that exists between you, right? You think you're right, you think they're wrong, right? Something like that. Or somebody, you've cheated someone, you've wronged someone. There is an inequality. Jesus says, you must make it right. Even before you go and you give your offering, right? Before you go and say you can worship God, go and make it right. It's so important, right? And, and, and Jesus is saying that, by the way, this is the first part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Everything else in the Sermon on the Mount kind of comes from this. You got to deal with your anger. It's so important, not because anger is in and of itself wrong, but because of what can happen with anger. It's going to say, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What Jesus is describing here is what tends to happen when there is uh, these, these disagreements between people, when there is anger, when there are broken relationships, there is going to be a cost that you have to pay, right? If you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with it quickly, then it is going to grow into something else, right? And so what we see right now is that we see... Um, a lot of people in this country are very angry, right? And like we mentioned, it, it is manifesting itself in a lot of different ways, you know? And the root of the anger itself is not necessarily bad. But what ends up happening with anger is it causes us 
Well, in many cases, to hate, right? To hate people. Now, it's very overly simplistic. And this is where we have to kind of nuance a little bit. It's overly simplistic to say, you know what? The answer is love. Just everyone love, right? Like, like if everyone just loved one another, we wouldn't have any racism, if everyone loved one another, then we wouldn't have these problems or violence or whatever, right? Like, like I, I know we want to go there. I, I want to point out, by the way, there's going to be the stuff about loving your enemy. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't start with loving your enemy? Did you notice that? Because, to be honest, that's where I would want to start, right? Like, you know, right, doesn't it say... The greatest of these is love. Love is the most important thing. That's the point. Why doesn't Jesus start with love your enemy? Love your enemy will come later. But if you notice, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, right, there's a lot of stuff that comes before that. You start with anger, and then he goes on to lust, and then he goes on to all this other stuff. Then it comes back to retaliation, right? And then it starts talking about forgiveness and all this stuff, right? It takes a while for us to get to love your enemy, and this is part of the process. Remember, we said, this whole thing is a process. You've got to go through this process. And so um, there's going to be this anger that you have to deal with. Now, I, I want to say at this point, <laughs> this is where we sort of like show the other side, right? Um, I, I've preached on this passage before, but anger in and of itself is not necessarily sinful. I want to prove it to you. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Uh, maybe for some of us, we have just a quote, uh, equated being angry with sin. But notice what it says here. It says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, you can do both, right? It it says that, you know, in your anger, right, you you could definitely be angry, right? And you could definitely sin. And there's there's like a Venn diagram of that, right? You can be angry and you can be sinning, right? And, And I think that oftentimes our anger leads us to sin, but it doesn't have to. Right? Part of the reason why it mentions it here is because it's so easy for your anger to lead to sin. How does it lead to sin? What ends up happening when you uh, uh, get angry? Like, what is the sin he's talking about here? It, it, it says, uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what happens oftentimes is that if your anger isn't dealt with quickly, again, going back to the whole you know, uh, before you give your gift at the altar, go and reconcile. You got to get rid of it quickly. And and what Jesus recognizes, and what the Scripture recognizes, is that if you don't, then it will fester and it becomes something else. It can easily become hatred. Right? We have to find a way to deal with this. You know, and and maybe for some of us. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, I think there's some people who love when, when I talk about this because they're like, sweet, I get to be angry, you know? But Pastor Steve said so, all right? Get off my back, you know? Like, don't give me such a hard time. Like, maybe, I don't know, someone's told you you have an anger problem. You look, Pastor Steve just said, 
you're allowed to be angry. Well, okay, I, I want to be clear. Just being angry, it's a part of the human experience. Of course you're going to get angry, right? Oftentimes, if you try not to be angry, it's going to be worse, right? If you don't acknowledge you're angry, then the sun can go down on your anger, and what happens? It grows, right? It metastasizes. It becomes something else. You ever just have like a little bit of resentment that you didn't acknowledge, and then it just ends up getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Like, I don't know, maybe just someone at work or someone at school. You know, they just kind of annoy you a little bit, but you're like, ah, it's no big deal. You just stuff it down. And after a while, you're like, that person is just the biggest moron I have ever seen. You know, where did that come from? It didn't start off that way. Or you're like, I hate you. Where did it come from? I hope you don't meet someone the first time and you're like, I hate you so much. Every fiber of my being. But that may happen over time because we stuff these things down and we don't deal with it. Right? So that definitely, hatred is sinful, right? Can we agree on that? Yeah? To, to want to harm someone or to think that they are less than human, to think that they are less than you. Inequality, right? Thinking that someone is less than you is sin, right? And that's part of the problem. And so I, I make that very, I'm, I'm trying to say very clearly, right, um, using that term inequality. Because I think what happens oftentimes in, in, in moments like this is that we look at what's going on in this world, and we use that as an excuse to hate. Right? We look at stuff, and we're like, dude, I, I just, you know, I, I hate the police. I hate white people. I hate whatever, you know, I hate politicians. And brothers and sisters, as Christians, that's not where we're supposed to end up. Hating other people is a sin, right? And it's a sin because it is breaking our relationship with other people. If the goal is for reconciliation, you can't use the tools of the enemy to right a wrong. Right? I've mentioned this before, but the idea of like, have you ever heard that, that expression, fight fire with fire? Right? Well, if you're gonna hate me, then I'm gonna hate you back. Fighting fire with fire makes no sense. Right? Have you ever seen someone fight fire with fire? You know what you get? You get more fire. Right? It makes no sense. Right? What happens if you fight hate with hate? You know what you get? You get more hate. That's what we see in this world. And, and, you know, definitely, I, I just want to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that some of the things we see in this world, right? You see a police officer kneel on a guy's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And he is crying for his dead mother. I, I heard uh, somebody talk about this, that they said that they had only seen this one time before. That, that their, their mother was, was uh, like on their deathbed in the hospital and was crying out for their husband who was already dead. It was almost like, like you knew, like, like he knew that he was going to die. So he's crying out to his dead mother, right? And we see that and he's saying, I can't breathe. And the guy's like, well, I think you can. Oh my gosh, like how can you watch that and not get angry, Right? But we have to be careful that in our anger that we do not sin, that we do not cross 
that, that, that threshold where we start hating the people who do this, right? But definitely, you can be angry. You should be angry in some ways. Now, I do want to point out, for some people it says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So I'm going to speak the truth in love to you. There may be a time for that. And, and definitely that can be done in love. If you understand that the other person is like you, that you are members one of another, you're my brother, you're my sister, and because I care about you, I'm going to speak truth to you, right? Um, I, Ephesians 4 is actually quoting a psalm. And the psalm says, be angry and do not sin. Again, same thing. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Uh, you guys catch that? Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. Psalm 4 says, ponder it in your own heart and be silent. Okay, which one, Pastor Steve? <laughs> which one are we going to do? I think the reason why both these scriptures are in here is it, it depends. There may be a time and place for you to speak the truth. But remember what it says. Notice what it says. You're speaking the truth uh, to your neighbor if you recognize that you are members one of another, right? If that person really is your neighbor, if that person really is like you, and you understand that, you understand their full humanity, and you love them, and you understand you're broken just like me, I think that can be a great place to speak to, to, to people. But in Psalm 4.4, right? I mean, you, you, gotta, you gotta remember, right? The Psalms, there's all kinds of crazy injustice going on, right? There, there's like, like, oh Lord, how long will my enemies mock me? And the enemies, you know, our enemies kill our children. How long will these injustices go on? I'm so angry. I'm so angry. And the psalmist says, maybe now is not the time to say something. Ponder in your own heart. You ever just get so angry you just want to say something? <laughs> right? It's not, you're not going to say it in love. Right? It's just going to come out. You, you, gotta, you better believe some hate is going to come out, right? Some sin is going to come out, right? If that's the case, before you speak. I'm not saying never speak. I'm not saying just we as a church need to be quiet. Remember, we're the light of the world. Amen? Right? We got to speak. We got to do something. But maybe before you do that, we got to ponder in our hearts a little bit. Maybe before we speak, we need to be silent. We need to process this. We don't want to cross the line to hatred, but we need to do something in this anger. And, and for maybe a lot of people, we've gotten to that point where we're like, okay, we need to learn. We need to figure out what is going on. There's something that needs to happen within us. Okay. There's that passage that's hanging out there. This is the passage everyone uses to justify anger, right? Righteous anger. The anger of God is Jesus clearing the temple. Can we talk about that for a moment? This is a picture. I'm like, this is like the picture that was on Wikipedia, so I just thought I would put it up here. But, dude, look, look at Jesus. He, he made the, the cords, right, in, into a whip. 
And he's about to hit some lady, right? I'm like, really? Is that what, how Jesus did it? Uh, th- this picture is pretty, pretty brutal. But um, we look at this and we're like, yo, Jesus got mad. And, and by the way, I don't know if you guys can see uh, in that picture if it's clear to you, but Jesus kind of got a little halo going on. It's like almost like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. And he actually doesn't look that mad. He's about to hit this lady, but he actually doesn't look that mad. So it's like, okay, he's clearing the temple, but he's still... He's still Jesus, you know? Um, but I, I hear this all the time. People are like, yeah, Pastor Steve, I understand what you're saying about anger, but Jesus got mad. Yeah, he did get mad. I, I want to point out, though, um, so, so if you guys remember the story, so this is uh, uh, Jesus at the, the temple during Passover. And during Passover, a lot of people would come into the city uh, come to Jerusalem, and they would come to the temple to give their offerings, right, uh, during Passover. And they, they um, a lot of people, they're, they're pilgrims coming from, uh, you know, different countries, different places where they have different currency. And so it, they're, they're, it just makes sense, right, like that they would need someone to change their money for them so that they could give their offerings to God. And there are different kinds of offering. There's a, a monetary offering, but there's also animals, right? Now, if you're coming from a faraway place and you've got to find an unblemished dove or something like that, right? Where are you going to get that from? And so they're like, hey, well, we make this easy for you. We'll have the animals here, right? These animals are kosher. These animals are unblemished, right? And just, you know, you can pay us here at the temple, right? Easy. Well, yeah, but there's something more to this, right? And there's a hint. There's a very strong hint. Do you remember what Jesus says when he's clearing out the temple? He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. It says in Scripture that my father's house is a house of prayer forever. But you have made it. You guys remember anyone? Jason, Connie? What does Jesus say? Use a very specific phrase, but you have made it. That's okay. <laughs> you have made it a den of robbers. I know there's someone on, like like on YouTube right now. Den of robbers. I got it. Den of robbers. So, you, you know, I, I was just kind of curious. Like, like, where did this come from? Why, why did Jesus say that? And actually, Jesus is quoting scripture. So he says, it says in scripture, and for some weird reason, if you look in your ESV, there's no quotation marks in the Greek, but they put a quotation around house of prayer, but they don't put it around den of robbers. But the actual expression is, it says den of robbers. Only one scripture in the Old Testament says den of robbers, and it's in Jeremiah 7. So let's take a look at that. It's, it's kind of cool. I, you'll, I learned something new when I was looking at this, so maybe you will too. Jeremiah 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice, what is this about, brothers and sisters? Why does Jesus get so mad? It's about justice. If you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, who's a sojourner? A traveler. 
in this passage, there's all these people traveling. They're pilgrims who are coming to Jerusalem, right? If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, the most vulnerable people in society, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is what Jesus is referencing. He uses this phrase on purpose. So what was going on is that a lot of these pilgrims would come and and they would have to change their money and they would buy the offerings. But as you can imagine, it wasn't done at cost. At the temple, they would take a little commission, right? Just, just a little commission. But oftentimes, the amount of money that people would have to pay the temple, the, the commission that they would give, would sometimes be as much as one day's wage for a laborer. Now, most of the pilgrims who are coming, most of the people at this time are poor. Can you imagine what it would cost that person, what it means to that person to take one day's wage from them. And the coffers of the temple were huge. They made so much money out of this. So Jesus is furious. Why? Because they are stealing from these people. This is a matter of justice, right? And by the way, after this passage, right, after Jesus clears the temple, you know what the temple authorities, what the religious leaders, where they're like, "Eh, makes sense. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the error of our ways. They decided that they were going to destroy him. Brothers and sisters, when we look at a lot of the stuff in this country, by the way, it says uh, in that passage, Jeremiah 7, still up there, it talks about going after other gods. Now, Jesus is quoting the scripture on purpose, but... You know, they're just trying to make a little money here, right? They're trying to, you know, pay their priests and, you know, they're trying to fund the temple, right? Right? But Jesus kind of points out something, I think, because he talks about it in other passages where he says, you cannot worship money or mammon, right, which is greed, which is wealth, prosperity. You can't worship that and God. You can't do it. You're going to love one and hate the other. What is at the bottom of a lot of our injustice in this world, right? Do you think people woke up and were like, you know what? We're going to hate black people. It'll just be fun. You know what's at the bottom of it? It's money. It's money, right? 
There's this excellent Netflix documentary um, called 13th. If you haven't seen this, can I just ask you as a personal favor, if, if you don't take anything else from this message, can you go and watch it, please? Pretty please? Just, just I, I, that's all I ask. Can you just go watch it? Um, they point out the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which is uh, what abolished slavery in this country. So on the surface, good, right? Yay, awesome, right? It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So this outlaws slavery. That's what this um, is about, right? But there's a little tiny clause in here that sort of, uh, it's like the asterisk, right? The fine print that people were able to exploit, right? Because, you know, part of the problem was that the South, their entire economy was built on slavery, right? How much does a slave get paid? How much does a slave get paid? You four people who are here. Okay, Jason's going like this. Zero, right? It doesn't get any cheaper than that. Right? Cheap labor, right? Free labor, you know? And so you, you don't pay these slaves. And then all of a sudden, overnight, right? And by the way, it had to be done with violence. It was done with war, right? We, we had a war in this country, the Civil War, and slaves were freed. So all of a sudden, you have all these, these people who were depending on this very cheap labor, and they don't have it anymore. The South is going to collapse, right? Economy is going to collapse, right? And you look at the wording of the 13th Amendment, and it says, except, right? There's no slavery except as punishment for a crime. And so what ended up happening in this country is that they made lots of things illegal (laughs) so that they could get their slaves back. This is true. So one of the main things was vagrancy. You know what vagrancy is? If you're just kind of loitering on the land and you're doing nothing, that's a crime. But when you freed these slaves, it's not like you gave them somewhere to live, right? So where were the slaves? They're just out in the roads, right? They're just walking around towns. They're vagrant and they are criminals. I'm getting angry and worked up just talking about this, right? And so, of course, they go to jail. And you know what they end up doing with them? They put them to work. The criminalization of black people has been going on since the end of slavery. As soon as slavery ended, there's a huge loophole. If you have committed a crime, and by the way, you can kind of configure laws, right? Or you can start badgering black people, as we have done in this country, right? They had this thing called stop and frisk in New York City for years, where you could go up to people and you could stop them for any reason, any reason, and you could frisk them. You you could, you know, just stop them and violate their rights, right? Well, it wasn't violating their rights anymore because it became a law. And disproportionately, about, I I think when I'm looking at the numbers, about 80% were people of color that they stopped and frisked. Do you think 80% of the people in New York are people of color? But 80% of the people who were stopped and frisked were people of color. So where do you think you're going to find the crimes? If you're stopping mostly, almost exclusively people of color. 
you're going to arrest people of color, right? In this country, if you are a person of color, you are six times, if, you, if you're a black person, you are six times more likely to go to jail than if you are a white person. Six times more likely. So, some of us may wonder, and we may think, I've wondered this myself. Yeah, but is that all because of race? I mean, there's other reasons, right? There's other reasons like, well, you know, they live in a bad neighborhood where there's a lot of crime. But this is the question. How did those neighborhoods get so bad? How come white people didn't want to live in those neighborhoods? How did all the crime get concentrated in certain areas? This is what we, some people call systemic racism. Ibram Kendi just calls it racism, right? And it's baked into our system, and it has for a really long time. We like to believe, we like to believe that we're equal. But man, some of this stuff will make your blood boil. I want to show you, um, this is uh, Khalif Browder. Khalif Browder was 16 years old in 2010 when he and his friend were uh, leaving a house party. And they're just walking on the street in New York. And the police pull them over and they say, hey, you have been identified as uh, you know, somebody who's stolen someone's backpack. And uh, the, basically, the, the, the person who identified him uh, changed their story many, many times. That person actually wouldn't show up to trial um, to, to, to take the stand and testify against Khalif Browder, right? They actually didn't really have a whole lot of evidence, but Khalif Browder had a prior, and so Khalif Browder was arrested. Now, if you are arrested, uh, you have to have a trial, right? We all know that, right? E- even the 13th Amendment says if you are convicted of a crime. Khalif Browder was never convicted of any crime. But before the trial, uh, y- you have this opportunity in this country uh, you can pay bail. And bail is so that uh, to try to get you to come to the trial, right? Like they give you your money back um, at the trial. Uh, but for many poor people in this country and disproportionately people of color, sometimes can't pay bail. Sometimes a bail for some crimes can be up into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Khalif Browder's was $3,000. And his family wasn't able to pay it right away. And so you know what happens in this country? I I actually didn't know this. I don't know if I knew what happened. But if you can't pay bail in this country, you go to jail. Even if you haven't been given a trial. Even if you're innocent. But if you've been arrested, right, if you're charged with a crime, and, and, you know, you go through the trial and you find out that person's actually innocent. But you still go to jail. Our jails are full are full of, let's be honest, disproportionately people of color who can't pay bail, people who have never been given a trial. Khalif Browder was held at Rikers Island, which is a terrible prison, for three years. He's 16 years old, guys. He's a sophomore in high school. He's held for three years, and he never got a fair trial. Three years, over a thousand days. Two years out of that three years, he was in solitary confinement, which is really tantamount to torture. 
And during that time, he was beaten by other inmates. He was beaten by, um, by, by the, the prison guards, right? I mean, it, it was a horrendous ordeal. And every, they, they, he had to show up at, at court for 31 times over that three years. And every time they said, we're not ready to go to trial. We're not ready to go to trial. Why? Because they didn't have a case. And it took three years for Khalif Browder to get released. And over this time, can you imagine you're 16 years old? Can you imagine? And, and they keep telling him, like, hey, take the plea bargain, right? Say you're guilty. Say you're guilty and you'll get to go free. And he says, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Tell me I can go free, but I didn't do anything. This isn't right. So he refuses to plea. He stays for over a 1,000 days in jail in one of the worst prisons in the world. And it's, it's terrible. I, I, he, he comes out, he's got all these mental problems. And two years after Khalif Browder was released from prison, he killed himself. A year later, his mother, who became, uh, uh, she, she would, raised all of these foster kids, but his mother was very poor. She had a lot of heart problems. She died of a heart attack a year later. And Khalif Browder's brother said, my mom died of a broken heart because of what happened to Khalif. She showed up to all 31 court appearances where they wasted this man's life and his time. I'd be mad too. There's this passage in Amos chapter 5. Verses 21 through 24, it says, I hate, I despise your feasts. This is God talking to the people of Israel. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I take no delight in your worship services. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Remember what Jesus said, before you offer at the altar, you go make this right. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. For us to just hate people, it's not going to solve anything. For us to just rage, we can't stay there. I mean, rage, anger, I mean, it's going to burn you out at some point. But maybe like many of people in this country, Khalif Browder's mom, Eric Garner's uh, daughter, who also died of a heart attack after being um, just a crusader for black rights in this country. I mean, you see a theme in here. Man, it's so hard. But this is our call, right? Not just to be angry, not just to be outraged, but to be workers of justice. You know, someone once said, um, in the face of these things, I, I think it was Obama, actually, who said, hey, you can be angry, but go vote, <laughs> right? Go vote. Right? There's something you can do. There are things that we can do, right? You can be angry, 
But maybe, you know, before we go out and we just lash out at the world and we get angry and we're just, you know, you end up just getting frustrated or burning out. Ponder this on your bed a little bit. You know, maybe just be silent for a little bit. Let this sink in that this is happening in our country. You know, educate yourself. Learn. Don't turn away from what is happening. It's a process, right? And there's really no great way to end this, this, this uh, sermon. And so I'm just going to leave it with this. Look at what the word of God is telling us. The prophetic word. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Praise team, can you come up? We are not called to hate. We are not called to lash out. But we are called to justice. And if you're angry, I understand. I'm angry too. But let the anger bring us to a place where we cry out for justice, where we work for justice, where we want to learn, where we want to root out the injustice, the racism that exists within us. God, we weep and we mourn and we cry out And we rage at times, God. We live in a very unjust world. There are many of our, especially black brothers and sisters, who are suffering. They have suffered for generations. We have not always listened. We have not always taken the time to hear their plight. We have too often made excuses. Well, they must deserve it. But God, may we be a people who are committed to this process, Lord, of justice, to walk this road, to not turn away when it gets too hard or to not turn away when we get too angry. Do not turn away when we get overwhelmed. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Spirit, search our hearts. Work in our hearts. May we have the spirit of Christ within us that we may continue on this journey of justice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.